Welcome to the Business Leadership Series, where we engage with leaders who are making an impact on their worlds and who want to share their knowledge and experience for your personal and professional growth. The following interview is designed to inspire you to become the best leader you can be. Your host, Derek Champagne, is the founder and CEO of The Artist Evolution, a full-service agency building successful brands, marketing tools, and campaigns, and also the author of the best-selling book, Don't Buy a Duck. And now, let's begin today's Leadership Series interview. Welcome to the Business Leadership Series, where our goal is to inspire you to become the best leader that you can be. I have Marcus Ogden with us today. Some of you know his name. He's a former NFL player and has played for several great teams and at the age of 27 he founded a construction company we'll have him talk more about that and fast forward to today and he is a motivational speaker he's got this awesome best-selling book sleepless nights the nfl of family and business marcus thanks for joining us how you doing derek thanks for having me on i'm excited to be on today and we've got a mutual friend that introduced us and both of us when we when he makes an introduction we take it seriously because he's a quality person introduces quality people so i'm glad to get to meet you and i and i've looked through your story and you and i've talked some and uh, i said man i need to share your story with our audience because this is what we're all about is taking inspiring stories taking lessons learned hard and good celebrating successes learning from failures and coming out the other side and that's the whole goal so let's i want people to know about you. Talk about your early years. I know you were in a single parent home with a father. Talk about that, how that molded you. I know your brother, Jonathan, NFL player. Just yep. give me, give us a snapshot of your life and then we'll keep talking from there. Yeah. So pretty much my name is Marcus Ogden. I'm from Washington, DC. We were raised by a single father, Cheryl Philip Ogden, who I went to Howard University as well, where I went to school. You know, he raised us. My father was very educated, had a degree from Howard Economics and got his master's from Maryland Economics. So we grew up in a very financial savvy, very strong foundation of education home. And we were very well off in my, the younger part of my life. But when I turned eight, my parents divorced. Uh, and at that time, my father got sick with kidney failure. He was a very obese individual. And when he got sick, he blew through all his savings to put my brother through high school. And then when it got to me, we became very indigent and very poor. And sometimes we didn't have food in the house. Sometimes the heat bill wasn't working. Uh, the AC never worked, you know. And I grew up in a very rigid household for education and a strong father figure, but I lacked a lot of the things that my friends had. Like I never, I didn't get my license until I was 18 because I, I couldn't afford to get a car. And, you know, my, I went to a private high school, but my maternal great aunt, my grandmother's sister, helped pay the, the bill for my high school because my dad couldn't afford it. So I've been through a lot of challenges, but it taught me a lot about perseverance, resilience. I never gave up on my father. We were best friends till he passed away in 2006. Mm. You know, a big believer, the way I was brought up, helped me today to push forward because now I'm a keynote speaker. It's not an easy job to get into because mm. it takes consistency, it takes marketing, it takes effort, it takes being told no and learning how to respond from that and rebound from that. Right. So growing up in that household was strong for me. And then getting to the National Football League after I left Howard in itself was absolutely amazing. I did not plan to be an NFL. I actually planned to work on Wall Street. <laughs> so tell us about that. Was your brother playing already? Yes, he was already in the NFL. Uh, you know, my brother went to the NFL. He was a first-round draft pick in 1996. So I was a junior, an upcoming junior in high school. Mm. I didn't get any scholarship offers to college until the very, very end. 
and I got one from Howard. That's it. That's wow. all I got. So I took advantage of that, and I thank Howard to this day because without Howard, getting an education would have been hard because my dad couldn't afford it. And I felt really weird asking my brother to pay for my college. So I, grac I graciously thank Howard all the time because they put me in a situation where I could be educated. But, you know, I worked at Merrill Lynch in downtown uh, Northeast DC, I'm sorry, Northwest DC, when I interned uh, there during my career at Howard. So I worked in the stocks and bonds room, blue chip accounts. Uh, my manager, Al Cobran, taught me a lot. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed it. My father worked around that atmosphere for many years of his life. So that's what I wanted to do from, since I could remember, was go to college, get a degree, and then go work on Wall Street. <laughs> So what did, what does your father think about going into the NFL, having two sons in the NFL? Oh, he loved it. I mean, what father, what, father <laughs> would, what father wouldn't love two boys that he pretty much predominantly raised by himself with that? And actually, it's funny. We were helped raised by our maternal grandparents. Wow. So my grandparents actually got mad at my mother because she left, and then they became close with my father. So my dad and my, my grandparents had a strong relationship all the way till they all passed away. They were just all so close. Wow. So having two boys in the NFL that he could, you know, you know, he could kind of gloat about and tell all his buddies <laughs> and friends and then we got a chance to kind of help him out when he needed help, like we helped him, you know, get a new car and helped him give him money to kind of go on vacation because he literally gave everything he had mm. for his boys to have the life that he never had. That's awesome. Amazing. Uh, it's, it's interesting to me, too, how, how the, the importance of education stayed, even when you were struggling in other areas, it was education, education. But then you're so thankful for your education now or for the opportunity that you got from it. Oh, from absolutely. My grandmother was a teacher for over 40 years of her life. Oh. So education, the upbringing, you're around my age, like the, we, had, we had the Washington Post. It had like the funny pages, kind of like right. you, know, you had like the FYI, you know, the little like education for the youth, all like the mini page for the guys right. and kids. And my grandma always had me read that. And I would come home after football practice and say if the electricity went out from a storm, she was lighting up her oil lantern from like the 1800s and making me see <laughs> my homework. So we were raised that education was going to be the vehicle to get us to where we want to be in life. Mm. Let's keep going because, you know, I know you've been asked so many times about your NFL career. If there's a few highlights that you want to share and some lessons you learned, but I, I want to then go to what happened with you next. So let's take, a, let's take a couple minutes. Tell me about some of the highlights of the NFL and some, and some low points. Just give me a quick snapshot of that part of your life because it's big, and then we're going to jump to the next section. So the high points are being one of the best of the best at the sport you play. Mm. The elite level for, uh, for, for several years, for years, years, and years. Mm. That's hard because everybody wants to get into the NFL. Right. When guys get there, some guys work harder, some guys stop working. And the guys that stop working, they'll have jobs. Mm. And the high point was you talk about mindset, you talk about perseverance, you talk about resiliency, leadership. Because in the NFL, especially that rookie year, you get beat a lot because mm. you're trying to adjust to the speed of the game, the strength of the game, the guys you're playing, especially as alignment, because these guys are, you know, yeah. you're 21, 22 years old. These guys could be late 20s, early 30s, sometimes mid to late 30s. They're still playing. So yeah. that was hard. 
that was the low point, like, you know, Joe, trying to figure out how to rebound. I got my butt kicked several times as a rookie. The high point is, again, being that elite athlete, but then I had some great sayings from people like uh, Coach Mike Malarkey that I use now in, in my business. The greatest fear we have to overcome is the fear we put into our own minds, yeah. period. Because Mike Malarkey said, fear is natural. It shows you're human. But if it stays in your mind for any certain period of time, you become average because you're mm -hmm. focusing on the fear and not on being great. Right. Fear comes into your mind. You get it out of your mind. That becomes the championship mindset. That becomes the elite legacy. And I hate to say this because I'm not a fan of theirs. That's the New England Patriots. <laughs> Bill Belichick, right. Tom Brady. When I keep right. those speak, I actually got to meet Bill Belichick when I was in high school because mm -hmm. he worked for the Ravens. So I got to hear him talk. And in my keynote speeches, I talk about things that he talks about that make a great leader, like being accountable is one of them. And, you know, serving mm -hmm. teammates is another. He was big on that. And it's the same thing. Football and corporate America, Derek, are one and the same. Right. Business. Wow. Yes, we put on pass. Yes, we have a good time. Yes, we pass by catch touchdowns. But at the end of the day, you look at Jerry Jones, businessman, Robert Kraft, mm -hmm. businessman. Like everybody keeps saying, well, why, isn't, why hasn't anybody signed Des Bryant? Because it's a business. It's like mm -hmm. we're going to make money off him, yes, but a lot of players in the locker room may not gel with him. He's kind of abrasive. The fans may not you know, receive him very well. And you're talking about messing up a potential dynamic of a football team, which right. is a cash cow for the owner. Like, it's like the Panthers. We have a new owner with, we have a new owner with the Panthers. Um, mm -hmm. uh, David Tepper's the new owner. He's a businessman. So it's all about making the product viable and profitable and also engaging for your clientele, which happens to be the fans. Right. Same thing in business. The right. exact yeah. same thing. Well, I love, I use a lot of football analogies in our marketing business and all the time, but to, to, to have been, to have to play it at the highest level and make the analogies, I can only imagine how much more fun and meaningful that would be. Let's go back to fear for a minute. You talk about that quote about fear. Do you feel the majority of those that feel marginalized or that aren't taking risks, is it because of that fear within themselves that they don't go after a bigger, bigger part or bigger play in their life? Derek, everyone wants to live the American dream. 99% of society is not willing to face failure. Right. Look at people like Mark Cuban, successful, but he failed. People like Damon John, now on Shark Tank Fubu, right. he failed when he started his business. You know, look at Tony Robbins as a great speaker. He had a rough time in his early, late teens, early 20s. He was a janitor and he worked for Jim Rohn right. and he found his niche. Everyone has a, the rock. Seven Bucks Productions in 1995 had $7 in his pocket. Wow. And now is the highest paid actor in Hollywood. Yeah. Every year. Is he a great actor? No. <laughs> but is he entertaining? Do you like him because it's the hero perseverance story? Right. That's why people love The Rock. Yeah. Because he gives you that element of, you know what? I can relate to that guy. I might not be 6'4", I'm taller than he is, or 270, which we're the same size. I'm a little bit taller. Right. It's like you can feel his pain, like $7 in your pocket. I mean, really, we've all had those type of struggles. Right. So people like that hero, that relatable, that charismatic type of person. So that's what people don't understand. They're... They're fearful 
of becoming great because they know to get to greatness, they have to overcome that hurdle. And a lot of people aren't willing to do that. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think another thing too, that is your mindset is fine as well. I, my background different than yours, but we didn't have a lot of means and I, and I was working early and, and buying my own things and, and I, and I and lots of people in the family. And I mean, it was, it was waste, not want not. And, uh, and, uh, for me, it was always an opportunity to grow. And I had others who were in similar situations as me that instead kind of went within and, and felt like they couldn't overcome it. And so I think we all respond to challenges differently, but for me, challenge is opportunity and obstacles are opportunity. And it doesn't mean that I haven't been knocked down before and had trouble getting back up. I've had eight companies. I failed at four of them and a couple sure. of them were painful, embarrassing failures for myself. Uh, but, uh, but you know what? That last one wasn't as bad. It was the biggest dollar amount, but it was not as bad because I had the skills and I had the right framework to move on to the next thing and there to grow from it. And so that was a big deal for me. Let's jump on for you. We're not going to focus on failure for you at all, but I want to hear about after the NFL. Before sure. we, I know you played from 2003 to 2007. What, tell me about your exit from the NFL. You talked about your dad till 2006. Was there a time there? Was there a time there in transition? Talk to me about transition. You had a loss here, your father. You were leaving the NFL. Transitions are tough, man, especially when you're – I left the music industry where I was – was a Hollywood musician. I was doing these things in a whole different world I'm in now. And, and I thought I was excited about the transition and I realized I lost my identity. I wasn't that same. I didn't have that public interface anymore. And I suddenly was average Derek who had to claw his way back up and make something a different world. Tell me yeah. about your transition because that to me seems even bigger because you were on a big stage. Yeah, I mean, the transition, the transition for me was extremely painful, lonely. Mm. I lost my father a year prior. I wasn't prepared for it. Mm. I got hooked on alcoholism, gambling, nightlife, because that whole stage of the NFL, the big stadiums and the lights and the fans and the screaming and, uh, you know, the going on the road and the guys in the locker room, all that camaraderie, that bonding, gone. And when you lose that at wow. a young age and you're not prepared for it, it can be extremely catastrophic, which it was for me. So yeah. the transition was very difficult. So now when I keynote speak for clients, I tell them there's three things they need to do to help them successfully transition. Mm. Number one is identify your inner circle. Who are people that you can count on to help you you know, to help you get yourself going. Number two, create a vision. What do you want to do? What are your strengths? What is your plan of action? What is your overall long-term vision to be where you want to be? And the third thing, which is probably the hardest for people to do, because we talked about this earlier there, the fear factor is take immediate action towards your vision. But that is so hard for people because they're just so afraid of failing. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I imagine it's, it's more common than when we see in the music industry all the time when there's a fall, uh, fall from greatness, but uh, the same in, in, in the NFL and other, other public arenas where there's a public stage, find your inner circle or identify your inner circle, uh, formulate a vision and take immediate action towards that vision. That's great advice. So let's talk about you. How did you, let's talk about your transition because you did some really smart things. You found your way out somehow. You did some really smart things at a certain point. So what, how did you get out of that? So you just, you identified three great things that you probably wish someone had told you or prepped you for and whether they did or not, either, you know, people prep me sometimes I didn't listen because I just right. didn't want to hear it because I was at the top of my game and I didn't think it would happen to me. But right. tell us how you got out of that transition and then let's go on to 
your construction company and some of the next things that happen. Because, man, this is just the beginning of your story. You got a lot. So pretty much what happened is after my struggle with transition, I ended up coming home, sitting down and figuring out, okay, what do I do good? I was good at marketing, good at sales, good at people. Should I have started a construction company? Probably not. But <laughs> I was really good. And also, I was good at networking, meeting people. And there was a void. A friend of mine told me to go to an event at Morgan State University, which is downtown Baltimore. And just kind of hear what one of the big congressmen was talking about. Congressman Elijah Cummings was there kind of talking about what to do next, and there's a big need for minority business. So of course, I had saved my money from the NFL, so I was, I was, I was good financially. I had great credit, uh, you know, I paid my bills, I had everything I needed to kind of start. So I had to say, you know what, I started. And then I met my business partner, and we kind of formulated Caden, and we started there. But the transition, once I stopped feeling sorry for myself, and started trying to focus on what I do good, mm. I started to find that next path. Now, looking back on it, I was good at certain aspects of this business, but I didn't really know the whole business. But, you know, again, I, you know, at least I made the attempt to try to live my vision out. That's right. That's right. And I love that. We're not going to harp on it, but take me back to that point. You, you talked about drinking and gambling and just some of these demons to overcome. And there's people listening that, that, are hiding and have that. What helped you though? Did, is, did you follow those steps that you gave us advice for those three pieces? And how did you come to that mindset to do it? Or was there somebody that reached in and pulled you out? What helped you find light again when you were when you were feeling the kind of this despair transition and right before doing the company and that excitement? Because man, I understand the entrepreneurial wiring. When you get that and you're all in, man, all your folks can go there. Demons go away. There's focus. I mean, you you've got purpose and everything can go into that. I get that world. That's been my most of my adult life is building those things. Well, also what happened was I had a mentor from when I played for the Ravens, uh, one of the the, uh, pastors in the clergy ended up sitting me down saying, hey, Marcus, look, I understand you're going through a lot. You lost your father. You're not in the NFL. I get it. But you are destroying the Ogden legacy and you're destroying what your father ended up working so hard before he died to leave you which was a good name. Mm. Not doing anything illegal, but you're not doing anything that's positive either. Alcohol, nightlife, gambling, all that kind of stuff consistently. And doing it every little bit, this is to enjoy is one thing. Doing it in over excess to basically cause bodily harm is another. So that's where you are. So that's what got me turned around was when a good friend of mine who I trusted and who I knew had my best interest at heart uh, through the Reverend clergy you know, with the Ravens, he helped get me back on track. Mm, that's great. That's awesome. Uh, having a mentor that leans into you that way and speaks that guy, your family, your family name. That's powerful. All right, let's go to the construction company. What happens there? The construction company was great. I mean, we started in 2008. It was phenomenal. We grew quickly. And the problem was it was too quickly. And we became the largest minority contract in the state of Maryland for mm-hmm. two years. We worked for companies like Whiting Turner, Turner, Hensel Phelps, uh, Bazudo. I mean, we worked for major juggernaut contractors. The problem was, as, and I talk about this all the time in my, in my keynote speech, speeches, leadership is the art of getting people to do what you want done because they want to do it. 
General mm. Dwight D. Eisenhower. Mm. That is the way I ran my company in the beginning. I was on the character side, which is very humble, very modest, very gracious, very appreciative. And we grew, grew, and grew. When we got to the top of the, of the mountain, instead of you know, being even more humble, more gracious, more appreciative, I became egotistical, I became mm. arrogant, I became lazy, and I became incompetent. And by doing that and taking the easy road, I ended up going bankrupt 90 days later when I had to spend between wow. two to $3 million in less than 90 days to rectify a job site issue. When I did that, I did not get paid back by the developer and the contractor, and I went bankrupt. Looking on it today, and even a, you know, a few years back, I'm okay. I mean, it's like I don't hold any ill will towards it. It's business. But right. I have a saying for people that are listening. And I talk about this a lot when I keynote speak speech, uh, when I keynote speak for clients, especially on sales and how to grow a business and how to really help your brand go to the next level. Complacency is the cancer to a true leader reaching optimal success. Mm. When you get complacent in life, you truly are just letting everything that you've worked so hard for go down the drain. So I tell my clients, you have to keep pushing when you're at the top. You can't just sit back and then let things just kind of go however you want them to go. Because that is going to lead to a company that starts to crumble from the foundation. And when that happens, you start to have mutiny, you start to have disarray, and surely at some point, your best employees are gonna to start to leave the business mm -hmm. and that's gonna make it even worse and disintegrate even faster. If you're tired and complacent, you need to either get motivated or you need to get out. Yep, If you that's want right. the company to succeed, you've gotta get out of the way. And I'll tell you, after a decade with our agency, we celebrate 11 years after the decade point, I was feeling that. Not lazy, but that, some of that complacency because I felt like I had earned my position. Right, I have earned where I'm at here. So I should be reaping the rewards. And that's not to say you shouldn't take rewards and find balance. Uh, and maybe your hustle changes in the way you're smart in being a leader. But I wasn't, uh, I stepped back too much here. And I noticed the difference and I had to get re-engaged. It's one reason we do this podcast is wow. to, to be intentional. This is, our tagline is be an intentional leader. Right. I, I woke up one day, Marcus, and realized that, uh-oh, not only am I a leader, but I'm an unintentional leader. That's scary when you look around you and see that you're leading a team and clients and you've got influence around you going, oh no. And so this is this whole purpose of our conversation is to make sure we stay intentional and stay engaged. It's, it's, it's a mission. It's not just content. It's a mission. Absolutely. Because you need to live and breathe your brand, your employees, your clients, the community, because at the end of the day, this is how you create a legacy. A legacy never stops. It continues on and on. Like Michael Jordan has a legacy from a bas as a basketball player. When he's been off the court for how many years now? People still talk about him. Yeah. LeBron James will be the same way when he's done. Barack Obama, people love as a president. You know, I could go on and on about people who really truly think of others as that, you know, that legacy, you know, that legacy leader. Steve Jobs yeah. with you know at Apple, Bill Gates, you know, with Microsoft. These are people that when they're gone, the legacy will never die because they've worked that hard and they still, like Bill Gates still comes to work every single day. Right. Warren Buffett still drives the same pickup truck. 
right. comes to work every single day. Bill, uh, you know, Warren Buffett made over 99% of his money after the age of 50. Mm. You know, and that's because yeah. Bill, I'm sorry, that's because, you know, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett are great friends. When you put yourself around people like that, that push for greatness consistently, that drive for results consistently, that is going to put you in a position where you are going to be always remember. I mean, Dr. King, you know, Rosa Parks. I mean, I could go Muhammad Ali. These are people that they always worked up until the day they passed to create a legacy in their unique space. Yeah. That is the way you have to approach business. Tony Robbins as a speaker. Right. Don, he's still going to be remembered for his amazing live shows and his ability to coach people, you know, like, you know, like Usher or, you know, like Hugh Jackman, you know, right. so that's what it's all about. Are you willing to, like you say, like, like this podcast, are you willing, am I willing to get our story out, to try to make a systemic change through information, through content, through engagement, to make people understand they can too have greatness if they're willing to work for it. Yeah, it's bigger than a title. It's bigger than a paycheck. It's bigger than our ego. It's a purpose-filled mission. And all the examples you shared are people that it's way bigger, way bigger than their, even their title. It's, it's embedded in their DNA to, be, to share greatness and to do things at the highest level of, those, of the things that they're doing in their category. And that's amazing. I want to do that as well. And I talk about legacy entrepreneurship always and, and, and making sure that you're putting your, your unique fingerprint on the things you're doing and that it continues to live past you. So if you build something, it doesn't crumble when you go. So right. if I'm building this agency to last, it's one thing if you're trying to build something quickly and sell it. But if you're trying to build something of meaning and value and purpose that has a greater good and lives into an economy and an ecosystem with your employees and with other management and with your clients, then you've got to have that mentality. So I think that's great. Hey, I, we've got just another couple of minutes. So I want to talk about I want to talk about your speaking engagements. I want to talk about how you're coaching and I want to talk about your book and let's give a plug for, for what you're doing. Let's start with your book. What can people expect? when they open your book to read it? What, can they, what will they get out of it? They're gonna get my, my autobiography, my life story from upbringing to struggles through, you know, through high school, college, the NFL, life after sports, how I met my wife, uh, you know, how I had to face extreme adversity. I, I call it the avalanche theory, you know, mm -hmm. where people kept telling me, Marcus, you're making a mistake. Marcus, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't be a speaker. You should stay and become a football coach and coach people and coach the youth. Like, that's your lane. I used to hear all the time, Derek, are you, are you thinking you're going to be the next Tony Robbins? Well, no, I don't want to be the next Tony Robbins. I want to be myself. Right. So it's really my autobiography about what I've been through to help people understand what I do through my speaking, through my coaching, and help share with them my story. And hopefully they can relate to me in some fashion. But when people relate to you, Derek, they want to work with you. Yeah. Hey, you're speaking all over the country to A-list organizations and groups uh, at a high level. Uh, if somebody wants to learn more about you or about uh, about engaging you for a speaking topic for their corporation, how do we learn more about you? And then tell me about how we can find your book as well. So you can learn more about me by going to my website, which is www.marcus, M-A-R-Q-U-E-S, Ogden, O-G-D-E-N.com. You'll see on there some videos, some of my past clients. I've worked for organizations like PNC Bank, I've been hired by AXA Advisors to go to New York City at their big conference in Central Park, right there at the J.P. Marriott Essex House. I've worked for J.P. Morgan & Chase, the Home Depot Company, 
Cisco, Siemens, NetApp, and I really focus on what the clients need. It could be a leadership talk. It could be a diversity and inclusion talk. One of my big clients is PNC Bank. I've done three PNC Bank jobs there in the last 90 days. Wow. It could be a sales talk. It could be a building a team talk. It could be a, an HR conference. It's really about helping my clients figure out what they need and then crafting my custom suit, crafting my story around their need. And telling my story of my life, but focusing more on the points that hit home to that topic and then getting actionable teaching steps along with challenging the audience to push to be inspired for greatness in their own life. And if you like to uh, look to engage me for a booking, you can also email my speaker manager, Ms. Donna Batiste, as it's going to be Donna, D-O-N-N-A, at Platinum Speakers agency.com and she is my speaker manager great i'll put this in the show notes too uh marcus any final thoughts on leadership or final encouragement to our listeners that you want to give today i'm going to end on this quote that i heard and it was and it's been ingrained in my dna by a dear friend of mine you're going to know exactly who he is when i tell you his name he coached me i've known him since 1990 and he just got let go from Oakland Raiders, and now he's retired and enjoying life, is my former head coach, Jack Del Rio. Mm-hmm. And Jack said, he told us this when we were rookies in 2003, some of you guys are going to make it in this league for years and years. Some of you guys aren't going to be here past you know, opening day. I don't really care. I just want you all to have this piece of information and in, so you can succeed. If it's, not, if it's with the Jaguars, great. Another team, great. If it's, if it's life after the gridiron, great. Every single day, every single play, you have to earn your spot in life. Mm-hmm. If you feel you have earned something and you don't have to work any longer, get out of the game like you said, or you're going to always be taking yourself back down to the gutter where you don't want to be, because every single day is a new challenge. You should be setting the tone, especially if you're like an upper level manager, managing director, CEO, COO, a position of managing, it doesn't really matter, but if you're especially in those positions, because you're a leader. Mm-hmm. And when you run a business with good leadership and a good culture, the staff follows. If you mm-hmm. have bad leadership, like I did when we got to the top of Caden, and you let it fester, it becomes toxic. When it becomes toxic, it destroys a a unit and it destroys a brand. So I'm just going to end on that quote from Coach Del Rio. Awesome. Thank you, Marcus. Every single play, earn that spot. Awesome. Marcus Ogden, thank you for being with us. Marcus is giving us great examples of how to be an intentional leader. The entire mantra and mission of our show. Thanks, Marcus. And look forward to staying in touch and seeing the next great things that you're doing. Thanks for having me on, Derek. I appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. You've been listening to the Business Leadership Series, where we engage with leaders who are making an impact on their worlds and who want to share their knowledge and experience for your personal and professional growth. This interview was designed to inspire you to become the best leader you can be. Derek Champagne here, host of the Business Leadership Series, and I'm inviting you to join me every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. right here on this station, where I interview world-class leaders who share their principles for success. Learn more at businessleadershipseries.com.
The Business Leadership Series is brought to you by The Artist Evolution, an aspirational agency creating memorable brands and marketing campaigns. Learn more at marketingstrategyhero.com.